Um, I'm sure you've noticed that we have kids in here with us today. So we have family service today. So kids, welcome. Glad you guys are here. Glad you guys are joining us in service today. Um, and for parents, I think part, part of the value add of a family service is to recognize the value of what happens in those rooms on a weekly basis, right? Um, because, <laughs> yeah, kids are kind of awkwardly laughing like, oh, yeah. So it's really valuable what they do. So not only um, giving, giving us like time in here for quiet and to listen and to worship and all of that stuff, but also, um, and more importantly, giving kids a lesson for uh, scripture, for friendship, for all of the important things about church uh, happen in those rooms on a weekly basis. And we take those for granted sometimes, um, that we get to just drop our kids off and <laughs> not have to go in there, for example. Uh, but Tom and Caitlin are representative of so many volunteers who work so diligently, so hard over the course of the year to provide that environment for your kids, to teach them to be that consistent voice in their life. I think one of the most important things is that they're another adult speaking truth into them. Um, and over the course of time, that has a ton of value. So we really appreciate our volunteers who do so much work in the kids' rooms every week. They're in there for, uh, well, until this year, they're in there for basically the school year every week, and they do a great job. So this is a, what we call a calm phase of our church calendar where we do family services and everybody's together. Um, we, we give all of our volunteers a break from kids' ministry for that reason. Um, and one of the reasons we do this is because we wanted to think through how, how is church uh, helping this mentality of like hustle and bustle and busyness in our culture? Are we helping it or are we contributing to it? Uh, and when we looked at our church calendar and what we were asking people to do, we kind of realized we're, we're contributing to it. We're just adding to the relentless hurry in our culture and that is so bad for our spiritual health. So we decided to come up with this new calendar rhythm where we represent, we model for all of us at least two weeks every campaign, every 12, 13 weeks, where we just take a break and we just kind of rest. Um, so we hope that you kind of get into that rhythm as well, um, where we as a church, we aren't asking our volunteers to constantly drive and grind and do more and do more and do more. Because if you've been around church culture for a while, you know how that tends to work. It's a, a few folks who are super committed and do most of the work at the church. So when we keep asking them to grind and grind and grind, it just ends up being more work for them. And then they burn out pretty quickly. So we want to model a healthy life rhythm. So we're doing calm weeks, we call them. So this is a calm week, which also means that, you know, kids are in here with us, family service, and the value there too is that we get to worship together. Kids get to worship with their family and be here in the same room praising God together. So we think that's awesome. There's a lot of good stuff here. So thanks for joining us today. And if you're like, man, this is pretty rough with a lot of interruptions happening, this isn't our every week rhythm, this isn't our normal rhythm, but we really value it and we think it's awesome. So if your kids are being squirmy and noisy, don't worry about it, it's all good. Uh, I'm used to it, my kids are real squirmy too, right guys? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> 
Ellie's a little better at like sitting and snuggling. Shiloh's very squirmy. Shiloh actually came climbing into our bed this morning and I had to kick him out because he would not stop moving. Right, buddy? I'm trying to sleep and he's like wiggling around and elbowing me in the stomach. So that's no fun. But that also means that uh, for me to kind of model taking a break too, I didn't prep a sermon. So last week we did a testimony time. Um, This week is normally our baptism time. Um, but we're, so we're just going to talk about baptism today. So every campaign, we're going to either you know, have a baptism, talk about baptism, or just kind of keep the ball rolling and keep this in front of you um, because this is really important. So we're going to talk about why today. So basically what I'm going to do today is just run through the conversation that I usually have with somebody who wants to get baptized or is thinking about baptism and what it means. I have a PDF. I'll print, I don't print it out. I send it to you or give you an iPad because um, <laughs> I hate printing things. Because the one time you want to print something, who else is, is this your experience with printers? Like you don't use a printer for three months and then the one time you want to print something, it doesn't work or you're out of ink and you're like, how is it out of ink? I haven't used it for months. That is my experience every time with printers. So not a fan. So I'll give you an iPad instead. But when we talk about baptism, we, uh, we sit down and we just have this conversation. Um, and I know the kids are in here today, and I'm going to talk mostly to the parents. So I'm not going to talk baptism on the level of uh, like a 10-year-old or an 8-year-old. I'm going to talk baptism on the level to the parents, because parents, we want you to have this conversation. We want you to drive this conversation with your kids. So if you need help having this conversation, um, this will be helpful for you. You can reach out to me. I can send you this PDF. If you think your kids are almost ready or ready to consider baptism and to have this conversation, um, I'll send this to you, and you guys can have that conversation and talk through it, okay? Because we want uh, part of our whole strategy with kids' ministry is for parents to drive these conversations. The church, we want to help you, but ultimately, parents, you are the number one influence in your kids' lives. So we want to help equip and encourage you, parents and caretakers, to teach your children about this stuff. So this is what this is directed towards. That also means we're probably not going to do the, like, kids go away for a weekend uh, Bible camp and we baptize your kids. Okay, we're not going to do that. (laughs) We want you to be a part of the conversation. You understand? Good? Cool? All right, yeah. So, baptism. So, we're going to talk really quick. This kind of starts with what is salvation, where we have to start here to answer one of the biggest questions that I often get about baptism. So, we're going to start here with salvation. I'm not going to go on. You guys are like, man, John's going big. This is going to be a very long service. I thought he said he didn't prepare. Yeah, all right. So, I get, I probably will get wordy, but I'll try my best. So, what is salvation? When we talk about salvation, there's a broad definition of salvation, like undoing all of the effects of sin in our world. So when we begin reading in Genesis 1 through 3, we see creation, we see fall, and then we see all of the effects of sin start to creep into God's good creation. So when we talk about salvation, big, broad picture, we're talking about undoing all of the effects of sin in the world. Okay, so that includes our relationships to one another, that includes our relationships to creation, and how it's most often narrowly used in our church culture and context is it restores our relationship to God, okay? So we're going to focus on that narrow definition or that narrow sense of restoring our relationship to God. 
But that's what salvation does. Sin ruins, it destroys our relationship with God, separates us from him because God is holy. God cannot be in the presence of sin and sinful creatures like us. So in order for us to be restored in our relationship to God, Jesus died on the cross and he took our sin for us. So then his righteousness is imputed to us and we are made holy because of Jesus and his work on the cross when we put our faith and trust in him, okay? So that's salvation in a nutshell. I've got a few verses for us to kind of tease this out a little bit. Ephesians 2, 8 through 9 says this, for it is by grace that you have been saved through faith and this not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works so no one can boast, okay? So salvation is not by being holy, by being good and doing the right stuff. It's not by just being a righteous dude. Nobody, okay. I'll try again next week. It's going to work. Bevan, I was, I was counting on you for that one, man. Um, <laughs> it's all by Jesus and his work on the cross. Romans 10, 9 and 10 says, If you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. One more. In John 6, Jesus is asked, uh, Jesus answers, the work of God is to believe in the one he has sent. So he was kind of being challenged on what, what should I do? What should I do? And Jesus says the work of God is to believe in the one that he has sent. I mean, believe in him. So this is how we're saved, by faith through in, in Jesus and by God's grace, period. End of story. Okay, so that leads into another important question that I often get, that is baptism necessary for salvation. So if we've already defined salvation as what we just have, then the answer is no, right? Plain and simple. You guys are like, for the first bit here, you're going to be like, why is he like kind of talking down about baptism? (laughs) I want to put it in the proper context, okay? I want to put baptism in its proper place for us. I'll talk it up later. But let's put it in the proper context. Is baptism necessary for salvation? The answer is simply no. Um, if salvation is by faith through God's grace, then baptism kind of, it becomes a work in some church denominations and in some theological systems. And we can often think of it as such. So no, it is not necessary for salvation. As an example, the thief on the cross in Luke 23 or in Galatians 5, the Apostle Paul is dealing with the issue of circumcision, which is a whole different thing, but it's related to the Old Testament covenant law and the people of Israel and what they did. Was it necessary? That was the argument in the first century. Was, was that necessary to be a part of the people of God or not? And Paul's answer was no, definitively No, Galatians, he gets real heated about this conversation, okay? And I won't say what he says because the kids are in the room and it's rated PG-13, all right? So, a couple of the the disputed texts. I debated going through this, but whatever, let's do it. Uh, We'll just dive right in. So, Mark 16, 16, okay? These are are some of the texts that kind of point to, uh, that are often brought up in this conversation. It's like, yeah, but the Bible seems to suggest that baptism is necessary for salvation. Okay, number one, the Bible's very clear about salvation being by grace through faith, period, end of story, okay? But what do we do when we have been saved is where baptism comes in. So, here's a few of the texts. just want you to know that I know they're there, all right? Sometimes people send these to me and they're like, oh my goodness, did you see this? It's in the Bible. I'm like, I know, it's there. I've read it too. I get it. Okay, 
So Mark 16, 16 says, whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. Okay, so it's like, is it both or not? But whoever does not believe will be condemned. So two things on this. Number one is this, this section of Mark is most likely not original. Okay, so if you're reading this in your Bible, it'll be italicized, it'll, there'll be a little footnote, there'll probably be something in the heading section that says like, eh, this is debated whether this section of Mark is original or not, or if it was added later. It was almost certainly added later. So anything that we find here, it's like, eh, take it with a little grain of salt if it doesn't coincide with the rest of Scripture and what Mark says. Secondly, the first part of that verse says, believes and is baptized will be saved. What does the second part of the verse say? But whoever does not believe will be condemned. So there, the second part of the verse eliminates baptism. John 3, 5, Jesus answered. This is when Jesus is speaking with Nicodemus. Very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. Okay, so this is Jesus talking with one of the uh, religious leaders of the Jewish people. And he's having this good conversation, this good back and forth with Nicodemus. And if we keep reading in the conversation, Jesus criticizes Nicodemus for not understanding what he's saying here. Now, remember where we are in the scope of history. This is before Christian baptism was even a thing. Okay? This was before, before Acts, right? Before Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead. So Christian baptism was not a thing. So if Jesus was here referring to Christian baptism, it would be completely unreasonable for him to then expect Nicodemus to understand what he's talking about. Does that make sense? Tracking with me? Okay. Some yeah. So Jesus is not here talking about Christian baptism. So whatever he's talking about with the, the water language, most likely my opinion is he's talking about just some pure purity, purification. So like, like John's baptism was a baptism of repentance and a commitment to live a holy life and follow God. Because water symbolized just holiness and, and purity and cleanliness. So what Jesus is likely getting at here is just that idea of the, 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 the spirit and water cleansing you, making you holy. Okay? So it's either that or he's talking about birth, which not going there either because bring up some interesting questions at home for you guys. So, First uh, Peter 3, <laughs> John's getting in a lot of trouble today. First Peter 3, 21, baptism, which corresponds to this, which is uh, the flood narrative and how God saved people through the flood of Noah, or Noah and his family through the flood. Uh, so, He's making this typological reference to the flood and salvation today is what Peter's doing here in the context. Now, it saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Okay, so again, with our theology of salvation and what Paul has said, what Jesus has said, uh, Peter here, if he is saying that baptism is necessary for salvation again, he would have to pretty strongly say this and definitively, and he doesn't, right? He, he says baptism, it corresponds to the flood and how Noah and his family were saved through that. So it's kind of this like typological thing that he's pointing to. And then he even explicitly goes into it and says, not as a removal of dirt from the body, so it's not the act of baptism, it's not the physical cleanliness that really does anything, 
but as an appeal to God for a good conscience. It's, it's your repentance and commitment in faith to live a holy life before God. That's what saves you. And Peter says it pretty directly here through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Okay? So again, he's not saying that baptism is necessary for salvation. He even says in 1 Peter 3.18, a couple verses earlier, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. So Peter is fully in the boat of Jesus' work on the cross as what saves us. Okay? Cool? I had to go through those. I'm sorry. All right. But, again, the reason I'm doing this is, I got one more, shoot. The reason I'm doing this is, again, for you guys to have these conversations with your kids, for you guys to understand this yourselves, okay, to put the work in and grasp these things yourselves. All right, Acts 2, 38, here's another one. Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So this is after Peter got done preaching a very long sermon uh, 3,000 people come to believe in Jesus, and they say that later. That's how they designate those who are now following Jesus as those who believe in him later in the chapter. Actually, yeah, I wrote it down. Acts 4, 4. But many of those who heard the word believed, and the number of men came to about 5,000. So, Acts 2, 38 here. Peter is answering the question of uh, what do we do? So they all just listened to this sermon. They just heard what, Jesus, what, what Peter had to say. And then they're like, now what? So we believe, now what? And Peter's answer is repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. So what he's saying here is that these are the outward actions of the inward transformation of, and the inward faith that you already have professed. Because we wouldn't say... Nowhere else in scripture is it repent and baptism for salvation, right? So it's this indication of the inward action of what's happened. And we'll explain that when we go through what baptism actually is. Because later in Acts, uh, Paul is asked uh, in Acts 16, what must I do to be saved? The same question. Paul's answer is believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. Okay. So when we see these kind of competing ideas and say, is there a, a better way to understand what's happening in the narrative of Acts? So remember, when we read narrative, we have to uh, remember that this is Luke just saying, here's what happened. Here's what Peter said. He's not necessarily going through a deep theology of salvation like Paul does through the book of Romans. Cool? Cool. All right. So now... Let's go into this. Oh, no, I downloaded it. Uh, well, I gave you guys all of it. Whew, bummer. Okay, I fixed it, but then it didn't update. All right, so baptism is, when we talk about baptism, I'm only going through the first one now, and then I'll go through the rest later, okay? So baptism is prescribed by Jesus. Okay, so Jesus tells us in Matthew 28, 19, to go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Okay, so for all of us, that should be it, right? Case closed. Jesus told us to do it. We should do it. I love the way Andy Stanley says it. We should kind of just listen to the guy who predicted and pulled off his own death and resurrection. What he says we should do because he knows the best way to live our life. So if Jesus tells us to do it, we should do it. Make sense? So we should be baptized. 
So, it's prescribed by Jesus. It was practiced by Jesus. Jesus himself was baptized. Okay, so again, going back to this idea of baptism being necessary for salvation, Jesus had no sin, right? Jesus needs to do it. No, he set an example for us, and at his baptism, the Father speaks to him, confirms that he's the Messiah, all of that cool stuff. Jesus was baptized. It was practiced by the early church. They'd done it since the beginning. <laughs> They'd done it. Okay, and Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. We've already talked about that one. Since the beginning of the church, they've been doing baptism. When someone believes in Jesus, they are baptized right away. And next, this gets into the theology of it that the Apostle Paul loves. Uh, we are identifying with Christ in his death and resurrection. So it's this, let's just read it. Romans 6, 3 through 8. It's this. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death. It's this identification with Christ in his death and resurrection. In order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. So it's this identification with Christ in his death. So like when we go under the water, we're kind of identifying, demonstrating that we have died. Our old self has died with Christ, and now we are raised to this newness of life in Jesus. That, as Paul says, I no longer live, but Christ lives within me. We are a new creation in Christ, meaning we are following a new way of life, and Jesus has given us his eternal life that we are experiencing now as his followers. All right? So, we're identifying with Christ in his death and in his resurrection, and then finally, it is a public declaration of faith demonstrating the unity. Yeah, actually, I had up there, yeah, I'll say it because I put the slide up there. So I had up there a sign and a seal before. So if you saw that and you're like, ooh, nobody did. Okay, whatever. The reformers talked about it as like a sign and a seal. So a sign is pointing to this newness of life that you have in Christ, this acceptance of faith in Jesus, that you're a new person in him. It's pointing to salvation through Christ. And the seal, in the sense of like what a king would do, and he'd put, his, put the wax on something, and he'd put his seal on it and send the letter out, right? That then whoever opens that letter knows this came directly from the king, okay? So when it's a, if, if baptism is a seal, you're essentially saying, I now belong to Jesus. Like Jesus is my Lord, and I'm following him. And you're publicly declaring that in front of everybody, that I'm, I'm Jesus now, and I'm going to follow his way. So I like those images. Um, then next, a public declaration of faith demonstrating the unity of the church. Paul says in Ephesians 4, there is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. So we as a church all experience this together 
There's one baptism, just as there's one faith, there's one Lord, there's one God and Father of all. So it's this unifying factor for us as a church community. That's why when, when we bring, roll the baptismal up here and we do our, man, we, we made a baptismal. Like, we didn't have any place to put it in here, so we like made a portable one. Because we think this is super important that the whole church can experience this together. We used to do baptisms out at the lake, but like a lot of folks wouldn't come out to the lake and we had two services. We we're like, ah, how do we do this? So we try to do it in between when we have two services. We'll do it in between services so everybody can be here to experience the joy of that moment together of a new person, of a person's new life in Christ, commitment to the unity of the faith and the unity of the church community. That's what baptism symbolizes. It's what it represents. And we want to celebrate it all together, even if it's inconvenient, even if it's difficult to get everybody in here, get the kids in here, whatever. Roll this stinking thing up here and try to fill it up all the time. We bought bucket heaters to heat that thing, okay? It's craziness. But we want to experience this together as a church community, and we'll work our tails off in order to get it done. Because we think it's really important to express the unity of the faith and the unity of our church. So, question, should I be baptized? First thing is, have you placed your faith in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins? Second, is he Lord of your life? Back to that seal idea. Like, are, are you saying, he's Lord. I'm gonna follow Jesus wherever he leads. If Jesus says it, I'm gonna do it. Okay, this is like the first step. Jesus calls his followers to go out and to baptize more disciples. So I want to be obedient to Jesus. I'm going to do that. Okay, it's the first step of that. So if he's Lord of your life, yes. Have you repented of your sins? Okay, have you repented? Have you said, God, I confess that I am a sinner, that I am going to try to live a holy life before you through the work of Jesus and the Holy Spirit in me? Okay, repentance means life change, turning around, living differently. And then are you ready to declare your unity to Christ and to your Christian community? Okay, so if you would answer yes to those, then baptism is something that you should pursue. So if you would like to have that conversation with me, I'm more than happy to. Parents, I'd encourage you to start having that conversation with your kids if you think that they're ready for it. And then parents, when you think that they can understand that stuff that we talked about and they can grasp it and they kind of have a hold of it, then we'll start having that conversation with you as well. Okay, but... If you would like to get baptized, just email me, uh, john, J-O-H-N, at lifebridge.church. Don't email john, J-O-N, at lifebridge.church. That goes to the other john, and he's on sabbatical. So if he answers, you tell me, so I can go yell at him and say, stop answering your emails. <laughs> we had an incident this week where uh, somebody posted on our Slack channel to update the website, and the website mysteriously got updated. That guy, that guy. So we're debating and looking up, looking up some ideas to lock him out. But he's got all the admin passwords, so I don't know. <laughs> all right, so if you have any questions about baptism, if you, the other question that I often get and I forgot to say is if I was baptized as an infant, should I uh, pursue baptism as an adult? 
My answer to that is always, if you haven't been baptized since professing faith in Jesus to where those things are true that we talked about, identifying with Christ and his death and his resurrection, the personal application of that, the unity of the community and unity of the faith, those things just don't, they don't fit the definitions of baptism when you're baptized as an infant. So I would encourage you to have that conversation and to start thinking through it and to process that if you haven't been baptized since you have put your faith and trust in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins. All right? So, band, why don't you guys come up? Let's pray, and we're going to worship together. Father God, Lord, we love you. We praise your holy name. Jesus, we thank you for the newness of life that baptism represents. That, Lord, we are new, we are different, that we have been changed by you and the work of your Holy Spirit in us. And so, Lord, as we reflect on our lives and reflect on our baptism, Lord, when we made that commitment of faith to follow you, and, Lord, our old life has been crucified with you, and our new life has been raised up out of the water into eternal life with you, Lord. Help us to live in that life now to know, Jesus, that you have given us your eternal life now and forevermore. And so we want to follow your way. We want to love you more, Jesus. And we want to love our community the way that you did. So, Jesus, we commit everything to you. Lead us, guide us into your way. In Jesus' name, amen.